For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for denarius a day, he sent them to his vineyard. And going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Going out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, and each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Lord, as we come to your word, your word um, that is not just a historical curiosity, but by the power of your spirit can speak to us here and now, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. And I pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. What can the word of God do? Um, it can comfort us, can bring us hope, can bring us clarity, uh, but it can also challenge and irritate us. And if you had to rank Jesus' parables by most irritating and most challenging, this would be near the top. Um, the unjust steward, also one near the top. But this one is irritating. Because if you've been in the faith for a long time, I think especially it irritates you. This idea that he treats the last as the first, the owner of the vineyard. What is this all about? What's going on? Jesus is a student of and a master of the human heart and human motivation. And he understands that we are extremely sensitive to status of where we stack up. Much of our consumer society and certainly much of our social media exploits our sensitivity <laughs> to status. We are often driven to ask, where do I fit in? I walk into a new situation, where do I stack up? Who's doing well, who's doing poorly? Am I doing better than that guy? We do this all the time. I was at the mall, uh, North Park, on Friday. So with my father-in-law, we were falling, falling behind, more chasing my daughter, Rowan to the ducks and the turtles. If you have kids, you know exactly where that is. But we passed the uh, Apple store and there was a huge line around the Apple store. And I'm like, why is there a huge line around the Apple store? Oh yeah, the new iPhone came out today, that Friday. That little device is a status machine in so many ways. And people stand in line on the day that it's released to get the new one, even though it is a marginal improvement upon the last one. Because it's not about what stats it has or what its tech is, it's about what it means to have the newest, latest, greatest. We are very sensitive to status. 
They are common questions to the human experience. And it's a good thing for us that the disciples had these kinds of status questions too. This whole section of Matthew's gospel opens with this question, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That is a question of status. Jesus, you are bringing your rule and reign, your way of doing things into the world. Where do I fit in that new world? And one of the first things that Jesus says is that actually the child is the first in the king, kingdom of heaven. And then in the passage immediately before our verses today, we have the famous story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you gotta keep the commandments. And he's like, oh, I've done that. And he's like, sell everything. And he goes away sad because he had great riches. And the disciples are very worried. Hey, we left everything for you, Jesus. How is it gonna work out for us? What then will we have is their question. They say, see, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And what Jesus says is that you will be rewarded. That you will, you 12, rule over the tribes of Israel. Sounds like a pretty good deal. But then he twists the knife. <laughs> because he says, but many who are first will be last and the last first. And then he tells this story. So the disciples are tuned in to status, and they just got good news. In this new world of the kingdom of heaven, we get to be on top. Hooray. And then Jesus tells this story. The kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. If you want to know what the kingdom is really like, pay attention to this story. As we get into this story... We might pay attention mostly to the workers and the waves that they come in, those who began at the beginning of the day, those who came in the middle of the day, those who came at the end of the day. But the most active person in this whole story is the master. He's the one that keeps going to the marketplace to, to recruit. And he says different things to each group. To the first, he says, I'll give you a denarius. And to the second group, he says... I will give you what is just. I will give you what is just. And then to the last group, he says, you go into the vineyard too. So, we've set up a drama here. And how is it going to pay out? The vineyard is a classic picture throughout the Old Testament of God's kingdom, of God's people. Most famously in Isaiah chapter 5, the prophet Isaiah pictures uh, the people of God as a vineyard that have been trampled, that has been trampled. But to work in the vineyard is to work in the ways of God, to work in the kingdom of God. The master of the house, of course, is God. The master of the vineyard is the Lord. And the way that the parable ends draws us again to this famous statement the last will be first. So he begins this story by saying the first will be last and the last will be first, and then he ends this story by saying it again. And the moment where the drama comes out is when it's pay time at the end of the day. It's when the work is done that things get really interesting because the master of the house explicitly sets this up 
to draw attention to what he's about to do. He could have easily just paid them in the other order. You came first, you're paid, you go along your way. But he pays those who have come last first. He's doing this on purpose. He tells the foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And then those who came last are given the exact same wage as those who have been working all day. If we are extremely attuned to status, and we are, and we are in that first group, then their reaction makes sense to us. Hey, this is not fair. We bore the burden of the day. And the phrase that those who have worked the longest say, say that tells us everything and cuts us to the heart, cuts me to the heart, is you have made them equal to us. They're not the same. They didn't work as hard. They didn't work as long. And you have made them equal to us. And then the master of the vineyard uses this word. It's, it's a word of intimacy and closeness, but it's also a word of correction. If you look at when the Gospels use this word friend, you'll see that it's a way to draw attention to a specific person and to sort of draw out the moment. And what does the master say? Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for denarius? We, we had an agreement. So he's drawing attention to their motivation. Notice, again, that he told those workers he would pay them what is just, those who came later. He didn't tell them he would give them a denarius. He would say he gave them what is just. I draw attention to that word because that is not justice as we typically understand it. Justice is eye for an eye. You do this, this consequence happens. This is something that is deeper and more beautiful and extremely paradoxical. It is generous justice. Generous justice might seem like a contradiction to us. It seems to us, in our experience of the world, outside of the kingdom, that maybe you can have one, maybe you can have one, but you can't have both together. You can't have generosity and justice together. But this master of the vineyard is able to achieve both. Generous justice does not break the law. Generous justice goes beyond the law. And this is the key point, because this is precisely how Jesus fulfills the law. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, not one jot or tittle will fall away from the law. I have come to fill it up. Think of him filling up the law in the way that those stone basins in his first miracle were filled up. He fills them up with water, and then he transforms them into wine. He doesn't just fulfill the law. He goes beyond the law. And at the crucial moment in this story, the master draws attention to his generosity. And what a stark contrast this master draws with the rich young ruler, who, because of his wealth, is sad and walks away. But this master, because of his wealth, is joyously giving and generous. And the question that he asks at the end is the question that he asks us. Do you begrudge my generosity? That's the question. When we see God being merciful to others, they don't deserve it. 
Yeah, you're right. It's generous justice. Do you begrudge my generosity? Or literally, the phrase is, is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because I am good? Which is a question of, you are looking at this all wrong. You are looking at this the wrong way. We have to look with the eyes of God. We have to look with the eyes of the master. And for us in our position, it's not to look at the other people around us, it's to look at the generous hand of the master who extends to us his generosity. Immediately following this story, with no interruption, no break, Jesus for the third time predicts his death and resurrection. possible. Jesus. You probably knew that answer. But in the context of this story, we have to think of Jesus as the rich young ruler who gives away everything for us. We have to think of Jesus as the master of the vineyard who wants to generously extend what he has to us. Jesus is the first who becomes last. Jesus is the one who forsakes all his riches, divests himself of all that he has to journey towards us in incarnation and towards the cross for our redemption. The New Testament describes him as the firstborn of all creation, the heir of all things, and he becomes a condemned slave. There is no greater example of the first becoming last so that we, the last, might become first in the kingdom of heaven. He is the Lord of the vineyard who bestows generously on all who labor in his vineyard. And his exhortation to us and to me is don't look at them. Don't look at them and what they're getting or not getting. Look at him. Look at the generous hand of the generous master. And I would close with this idea. That a new way of seeing leads to a new way of being. If we look at the world through the eyes of generous justice through the eyes of mercy, then it helps us calm down our status-driven hearts. I need that. You need that. Do you know why I know you need that? Because we live in Dallas. <laughs> this is an exceedingly status-conscious place. Uh, I hope that's not a surprise to any of you. <laughs> Shocking news. Dallas is into image management. It's in all of our hearts, but there are places and times where it gets amplified, and we live in one of those cities. And I need this, and you need this. We need this new way of seeing that leads to a new way of being. That is what behold and become means. What you look at is what you transform into. So, where does that leave us? Where do we look? Well, we look to Jesus. We look to the one who goes to the cross on our behalf. We look to the one who makes himself poor so that we might become rich. We look to the one who demonstrates in all that he does and all that he says, generous justice. And I would leave you with that phrase to meditate on. What is generous justice? What does it look like for us as a people in East Dallas called to this community to be people who are both generous and just? Not one, not the other, but
but both together. To be people of mercy who look at the world with eyes of mercy. I leave that as an open question because that's kind of what Jesus does in his stories. He often leaves things as an open question. We don't know what, if anything, these workers said in response to the question, do you begrudge my generosity? It's meant to be an open question because we're meant to take it with us, to chew on it, to talk about it, to pray about it. So I, I would challenge you to do that. Challenge myself to do that. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you, strangely, for the ways that it irritates us and challenges us. And we pray that you would bring us into a new way of seeing so that we might be brought into a new way of being and that we would be people of generous justice. I ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.